I've been around leadership since I was 20. Like that's been that's been my role my whole life, and I've probably seen a handful of good leaders in those decades. A handful. I'm in my 60s now, um, and, and and for me, a leader is really somebody who creates an environment where his people can flourish. That's mm. pretty much it. Mm. That's your job. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same like right now. I'm going to be talking to Tony McGrath in a little bit. But before I do that, just the usual. If you want to join the Strive community, if you want to take the 1000 Days Sober experience and become someone that doesn't drink alcohol. If you want to take a who am I experience and understand who you really are, reclaim your power and step into your greatness, then get to www.1000daysober.com and uh, yeah, book yourself in for a choose yourself call and we'll have a chat about it. Okay. Um, also, if you're not doing, follow us on Instagram, 1000 Days Sober and check us out on YouTube, 1000 Days Sober. We also, 1000 Days Sober at Facebook and LinkedIn and all those other places if you don't get enough of us. Right. We're going to be talking to Tony McGrath. Tony is a former soldier and elite athlete who went to Canada as a new immigrant after a career as a senior executive in banking, insurance and retail in UK and Europe. After heading up a number of startup enterprises, he led the investment group and management team to launch a new Canadian insurance company. Tony is a partner in a consulting practice which focuses on leadership, mentoring, strategy, execution planning, and business turnaround. Basically, he's a really good shit hot businessman, right? Um, but he's also been um, in AA for donkey's years. He hasn't had a drink for donkey's years. And he has a lot, a lot of wisdom. And I reached out to him on LinkedIn uh, because I could see that he wasn't drinking. And I really wanted to talk to him to supplement our evolution phase of the 1000 Day Sober experience. So, you know, part of the training that we do at 1000 Day Sober is once you've uh, stopped drinking and you've maintained that sobriety, well, it's time to fix up your life, right? It's time to find out who you really are. It's time to reclaim your power, step into your greatness and all that kind of stuff. And I like talking to people like Tony, successful people who can help you out. And I realized that he is an accredited daring to lead uh, coach uh, who has been uh, gone through the school of Brenny Brown runs. And I really wanted to talk to him about leadership. So that's what we start out talking about. We start out talking about leadership and it just revolves around there. We have a good chat about business. We have a good chat about leadership life and um, yeah, all connected back to really stepping up in your power, being a man, a real man, and uh, yeah, doing it all without drinking alcohol. So without further ado, I'll leave you in the capable hands of Tony McGrath. And if you want to get the show notes for this particular episode, www.1000daysober.com, go to the podcast page. You'll find a little area of Tony's. You'll be able to download them. Okay. Thanks for listening as always. Ciao, ciao. How's it going, Tony? Awesome. Good to be here. Um, you, where are you? Tell us where you are in the world. You're just about to tell me. I yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I live in Calgary, which is in Alberta in the Rockies. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm currently in Kelowna, which is in British Columbia, the next province towards the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So beautiful wine country, gorgeous lakes. The weather's fantastic. We've got a little bit of uh, Oregon and Washington and California smoke up here at the moment. But other than that, it's beautiful. So we're at like 27 degrees centigrade today. It's funny, you've got and, the smoke up there. Canada. I know, I was going to say, I always... Uh, 
I always relate Canada to freezing cold. Uh, yeah, Calgary can be like that. It's, it can get like minus 35, minus 40 in the winter. We're getting the smoke down here as well. It's pretty frustrating because you can't really go out of the house. I'm not saying that. We've been in lockdown for so long. Um, should be getting used to it. But though, yeah. those walks around the block have, um, have started to become really important, so I kind of miss them. Yeah, think, things have looked a bit dodgy in the UK there a little. No, I'm not in the UK. Yeah. I'm in LA. Oh, yeah. I thought you were in Wales or something like no, I, used, I, that's where I'm from. I spend six months of, t- of my time there, but I've been, um, I've been in the US since lockdown. So I'm, I'm not leaving because if I do, Donald won't let me back in. So you can't get back in. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I mean, I get to LA a lot. We, we go on a lot of road trips down there. So, uh-huh. so we, Kelowna is a bit like Sonoma, you know, maybe not quite as hot. And then Nora's much on fire, but we, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's, it's got its own like microclimate here. So. If it's not an earthquake, it's a fire or something. Um, anyway, yeah. we got you, we got you on cause, um, I got you on originally cause I just wanted to talk about success because, you know, our program 1000 days sober, the sixth element is evolution and how important it is that once you've put the drink behind you, that you can really reclaim your power and really rediscover uh, what it is you want to do in life. But then as I was looking through your LinkedIn profile, I was like, holy shit. He's like, he's, he's like an accredited daring to lead. Uh, I don't even know what you call the word, right? Expert. Um, well, I no, I, I guess I, yeah, I'm an accredited leader. Accredited my whole team, leader. Yeah, my whole team did, uh, did that course. Right. All of it. Right. Like from top to bottom of my organization, we all did that. Right. Well, I read the book and I thought it was fantastic and it is on yeah. my list of things to do at some point in, in the future. Renee's so I, quite the powerhouse, right? Oh, unbelievable. And, and a lot of her work, her theories, her research, you know, runs through the kind of the DNA of 1000 Days Sober. It's really important. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit because I, I really believe, you know, I'll give you an example. So I'm working with this guy at the moment. I'm helping him stop smoking, Tony, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and we were talking about stimulus, uh, stimulus response and mm-hmm. how he can change his environment to, you know, improve his likelihood that he's not going to get triggered to smoke. And one mm-hmm. of the places he said he smokes all the time is in his office, in his meeting room. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, okay, like, how could we make, what would happen if we made that a non-smoking office? Mm-hmm. And through our dialogue and a little bit of coaching, what it got down to really was he was worried what people would think about him if he told them that it was a non-smoking office. Mm-hmm. So I said to him, well, give, you know, let, let, pretend I'm one of your staff members and then you go through you know, the dialogue. Yeah. And it was clear that, and I see this a lot in addiction, not business-related, but personal-related, there needed to be a, you know, a, an aura about him, like a, a kind of like, a, don't mess with me. I'm, I'm the leader. What I say is serious. Yeah. But at the same Machismo. time, empathy. yeah, but, but a spunk, like whatever. Yeah. And, it, and it wasn't like that. It was de- very defeatist. And, and in addiction, if people can sniff that, you know, and, and, they'll, and, they'll, yeah. and if they want to drink and they want to smoke and they can sniff weakness, you know, so I think leadership is really important when it comes to quitting our addictions. And what's yeah. your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, we, I mean, we talked a little bit last night, late, about, about Brené and, and some of her philosophies and, you know, I think the same skills apply in business leadership as they do in my own life. Mm. 
you know, and I, I am an AAer. I have been for 23 years. That's neither good nor bad. Mm-hmm. That's neither better or worse. It, it, it's a scaffolding for my life, and that's mm-hmm. really all it is. Uh, and one of the principles of the program is sponsorship, mentorship, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. So I have an obligation to be a leader in the recovery community. So that means I've actually got to walk the talk. I can't just sit there and, and bullshit and use little cliches and key phrases. I've actually got to do what I say I'm doing. Mm. And, I, and I'm not always good at that. I'm just human. Like I, I fuck up on a regular basis. We've got a great organization uh, in Canada. I think it might be in the US too in business called Fuck Up Nights. <laughs> I like it. It's remarkable. So it, it's in the entrepreneur community. I think we should start that in recovery. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. To, to, because there, there is, Brené's a, a, a research um, professional. Like she actually isn't, didn't start in the mental health field. All of her work comes from research. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think she, she talks about the human condition a lot. And, and that's what really attracted me to her work with my team. You know, we, I, I fuck up a, a dozen times a day at least as, as a leader in business and as a leader in, in life. But I have an obligation to, 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 to do my best. And when I say I, I want to lead with empathy, I need to do that. And that doesn't mean I can't make the tough decisions or have the tough conversations. And I, that, that's an awful lot to do with her work. Mm. But it means I, 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 I display empathetic qualities in my own life. Um, so that, that's, that's become really important to me over the years. And, and uh, most of my, my personal work, if you want to call it that, has been outside of AA. And, and AA has provided just a scaffolding for, for me to get well in the first place. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I talk about spirituality in business. And, and it's not always an easy topic to raise. Meditation is not an easy topic to raise in business, so you have to call it breathing exercises. <laughs> it all helps us behave like decent human beings. Um, they, they, they calm you down when things are stressful and they prevent you saying things that you shouldn't say at times you shouldn't say them. So I, I, I've really enjoyed her work and you, you can't be a good leader in business unless you're a pretty decent human being. Mm. And, and, you know, I love the philosophy just... You know, on your worst day, just don't be a dick. <laughs> you know, like if nothing else on that day, just just don't be a dick. And I love the philosophy that some of the older guys in recovery have taught me. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm one of those now, but it's just like on a really bad day, get to bed without using or drinking and don't be a dick. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> you know, love it. So I, 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 I kind of, I think that's a very very start point for walking the tour mm. you know like just don't be a dick man like just tr- just try and be a decent human being and you know I, in business leadership that's so rare unfortunately you know you were talking about ego earlier we we get in we get in ego and, and, and ego is really fear we don't want people to see the real us um you know and as a leader we seem to feel that we've got to be dictatorial in some way almost sociopathic at times, you know, where, you know, the bottom line number is all that matters. Yeah. And I think what, what we, we fail to grasp in business and politics is that actually if you do the right thing, the numbers take care of themselves. They, they really do. They, they follow. 
you know, and, and if you just focus on the bottom line in life, which is getting a Ferrari or a big car or the great looking wife or the perfect relationship or the bags of money, um, that very often either doesn't happen or doesn't bring you happiness. Whereas if you focus on what's happening inside of you and being a decent human being, the, the money uh, will follow. You'll always get enough. Do you know, I'm, <laughs> so, get enough. I'm so glad you said that. I had a, had a conversation with a, a fella the other day. He, he'll be listening to this actually. And I was trying to, trying to enroll him in, in our program, try to help him out. And I asked him to describe his vision. And his vision was, I have this vision of, I, I want this really beautiful woman in, in my household taking care of things, you know? And I, and I said to him, ah, you know, there's something about it. It was like, ah, because, you know, that's, I, I want to work with people who the vision is that they want to, they want to really get the beauty out of themselves. And, right. then, and then the beautiful woman and the Ferrari and the house and everything comes as a result of working at yourself. It, it may. <laughs> yeah. 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 It may, but it, yeah. But, but, and you may actually get the Ferrari and think, well, fuck really. It's just a car. Yeah, or you might get, or you might get the beautiful woman, and all of a yeah. sudden you want to reach out and open up to her, and like nothing's coming out because you're, you know, you've basically given the universe the wrong instructions, and they've delivered the wrong Amazon box. You know, it's like uh, um, yeah, I've won the lottery lots of times, but it's like twenty bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to win the lottery. Is like ten quid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've 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 won it lots of times. You know, and and I've had those thoughts if I only won the lottery, but. You know, if I won 60 million, what am I even going to do with it? Mm. Like, I've got to find some good to do with that money because, you know, there's only so many houses and so many cars. I have a good friend. I have a good friend of mine whose sole job is figuring out how to give all of his money away. And he says to me that, he says, don't laugh, but it is so, I find it so challenging. I find it so challenging because the decisions I make with this money are, game changers, you know, um, you yeah. said something earlier on that actually gave me the tingles, you know, like the old goose bumps on the arm. Yeah. You sped, you said, um, do you like to promote spirituality in business? I've never heard even now it's happening again. All me airs are going on yeah. on me. I've never heard that before. Now, when I you got to preface this with the fact that I've been out, I've been out of kind of, I say I'm out of the business. I run a business, but I worked on, I worked for, British Rail and then DB Schenker for 20 years. And that and I left 10 years ago. And at that time, there was a, a real issue, which I, I'm, I'm beginning to think is worse these days, is that everybody was afraid of opening their mouth and speaking the truth. And so that meant that you would go to like a big event where the CEO would be telling you, um, the customer comes first, our people come first. And then you know you it's get, a lie. <laughs> yeah, you get what well, you get back to base. Well, no, actually, this is the way I saw it with our CEO. He was telling the truth, but when we got back to base, our managing director would say, "Right, don't listen to any of that shit. Yeah. I have to hit my targets. So what comes yeah. first is EBITDA, right? And yeah. what you're saying is, if we could incorporate into our business life spirituality. So, uh, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Talking to uh, one of my tribe members, um. He's currently doing really well. Like he hasn't had a drink for a good long time, and he he works in sales. That's his that's his background, and I, and I, I want him to help me get more people through the door. Um, but it's really important to me that before we go on a call with someone, 
uh, that we we meditate and we yeah. we set some intention into the call. That to me is like spirituality and business. And like you said, it, yeah. we never had it, and it would solve so many problems. It would because it flips business around. You know, let's not talk about bottom line whilst that's important to our survival. But if we do the right things. That, that will take care of itself because yeah, our, our yeah. people start to flourish yeah. and grow uh, and they start to gain trust and they start to believe in what you're doing. And, and there, there are some great examples of that. Like I, I love Richard Branson. He, talk, he talks about that all of the time. And, uh, and um, there's a guy called Gary Vaynerchuk down in, uh, yeah, no, Gary, yeah. down in LA. You either love him or hate him. Mm. But, you know, when you, you, you listen to him carefully, he, he said the most important person in his business is his people person. Hmm. And culture trumps Trump strategy every time. So if, if you focus as a leader on building a, a good culture, and by that I mean based on empathy and kindness and, and love, and they're words we don't like to use in business. Mm. We don't like to use those. We don't like to, to understand the terms around looking after each other and looking after our people. That doesn't mean that, you know, we accept poor performance or we accept bad behavior or we accept sexual harassment. But there are, there are some principles uh, that, that we learn in, in recovery around. If you hire grown-ups, they'll do a grown-up's job. <laughs> right? So you, you, want, you want spiritually mature people in your organization. You don't have to supervise them then. Right? They, they'll, they'll do the job that they're supposed to do and that they're paid to do. So even the very principle of interviewing people and resumes is stupid. Like you, you, you get a resume and, and then we interview the person. He shows up wearing what he thinks you want him to wear. Say what you... to questions yeah. that he yeah. thinks you want to answer. So what do we get? We get a whole false... I mean, if we actually went out for a walk with a guy and... Tell me about you. Like, I, I don't really care what you've done. Your resume tells me you've got the skills for the job, but I want to know about you as a human being. We had, you know, the um, interview process doesn't lend itself to that. We had a podcast guest on Renat Strahlhofer, mm-hmm. and she was saying, imagine how powerful it is when someone rocks up for an interview and they say, I've been an addict for 20 years and I've overcome it, or I got divorced. What, what's your superpower? I got divorced. Um, I lost my child. Survived it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I survived the because then you're like, holy shit! They managed to they managed yeah. to deal with incredible adversity that they had no mental map on how to navigate. Yeah. How great cool. is that? So I, I got I was on a podcast last week and I, I got asked what's my greatest achievement and I was a sole parent of two kids. Hmm. There is no job on the planet that compares to that. <laughs> there isn't. It's it's uncharted territory. <laughs> completely there are millions of books out there none of them make any sense when you when you're in the middle of it yeah you know there, there, there is not a ceo's job on the planet that compares with that you look at some of the mums and the things that they have to do in their homes when they've got three or four children i've got a friend who's got a three boys and a special needs little girl on her own but remarkable like i i i don't have that level of resiliency or skill or organizational ability and i've run some fairly large businesses i can't even come close to a woman like that i can't mm. but we 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 as society don't tend to value that when you go along with your resume and say <clears throat> i've been a single mom for the last 5 years or as you said I, i'm i've been in recovery for for 2 or 3 years now or i went through a divorce and lost my kids they're not they're not skills that we value but in a 
if we take it from a spiritual point of view as a business, why wouldn't I want a person with that resiliency and that depth of character working for me? Why mm. wouldn't I? You know, I, I, I would be stupid not to hire them. That's why Brenny's work is really important. And I, and I, think, I think when communities like ours adopt her work, and we, did, we didn't adopt her work because she stopped drinking. We adopted her work no. because everything she's talking about is the human condition. And what I see, yeah, what I see that comes out of our community is we have a, we are, everyone, is a, everyone is a leader. They're all in different stages. But, and it all seems to stem from giving them the playground and the, the kind of like the patience and the compassion to speak their truth. Yeah. And, and know that there's no kickback. And once they speak their truth, their authenticity starts to shine out. And then you can see their real leadership. But for most of them, when you turn around and tell them that they're a, they're a leader, they don't get it. They can't see no. it because their description of what a leader should be is very stereotypically different than... Well, it's, what, it's what like, it like a guy my age with my skin color in a suit. I was going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you what... What, what is the caricature of a leader and what, do you, what, is, a, what is a real leader, Tom? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I've been around leadership since I was 20. Like, that's been, that's been my role my whole life. And I've probably seen a handful of good leaders in those decades. A handful. I'm in my 60s now. <laughs> um, and, and, and for me, a leader is really somebody who creates an environment where his people can flourish. That's mm. pretty much it. Mm. That's your job. You know, a, a CEO is a sought-after role in this world, but I, th- I think we, we that, that's actually a pretty horrible job because, like, I don't, I don't love it because of all the numbers attached to it. But, you know, success comes from creating an environment where your people can grow. It's really setting up a vision, telling a story that they believe in, having them believe in you personally, which where is, that's where the walk, the talk comes in, mm. which, which is more difficult to do than say, yeah. right, to, to actually walk the talk because you, you are exposed. But creating an environment where people can flourish is so important. And, and I hear that over and over again, and it's the same in, 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 in Brené's, uh, Brené's work. So I, I, I think we, we have, the, we have the, this view that they've got to be out in front and leading the charge and they're, you know, they're, they're the person that everybody looks to. If you're a quality leader, people don't even notice you're there a lot of the time. You know, you're the spokesperson for the business. You're the chief salesperson. But on the, in the day-to-day operation of the business, you don't need to be there breathing over people's shoulders. You don't need to be supervising them closely. You don't need reporting structures in place if you've got grown-ups working for you. Mm. And, and, you know, the, the alcoholic or addict, the, the, the people in recovery, some of those people have been through the worst parts of hell. So there is not a lot that they can't survive in a business. So like a, dern, a downturn like COVID, it doesn't phase people in recovery quite as much as you might think. Mm. Like a, they've lived in a downturn for decades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a personal COVID, a personal lockdown, where they're where they're um, they're removed from normal the normal run of society. Where if they're in an emergency room, people step over them, or they see them on the street, they look at them with disgust. These are people's brothers and sisters, and and fathers and mothers and husbands and wives, but they're, they're the forgotten strata of business. 
So these people are used to being resilient and used to handling downturn and used to handling bad times. They're used to running things with no money. Being resourceful. Yeah, the average drug dealer is a great entrepreneur. I was going to say, all addicts are really resourceful. (laughs) So, you know, a good leader for me is somebody who creates a great culture and steps aside a little bit. That's the kind of opposite of what we're taught in business school. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that's such a shame but i mean i wasn't even thinking of business when you said creating a creating a space for people to flourish you know what i thought of was the family home totally yeah and and, and you know that that's something i i had to learn as a father to create a space for my kids to flourish mm. no no different than, than i would do in business and i think you know in, just in life generally you know you can create a culture around you of people that um gain a positive vibration from you and that's a bit cliche i realize but you know you you get back what you give out Hmm. and 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 as as somebody in recovery if you give off positive vibes and you give off hope and you and you give off uh the whole energy of like things are going to get better and things are going to improve you just you just got to have faith and do the right thing Hmm. you know people are attracted to you and and that's the same in business you know, if, if you give off those vibes in business, people are attracted to you. I've just lost my whole team. Oh. Like in, in COVID, we lost our whole business in about two hours on the 12th of March. And I'm actually leaving the theater at the end of this year to uh, start exploring some new adventures. So, but, but you know, I, I have a resilient culture at work and they've all left that job now better than when they came and that's not because of me that's because of the culture that we grew there hmm. you know they've got a, a more open mind about the world so as as people not just as business people as people they have they have improved themselves because of the culture that was built there and that leaks over into your home life and your relationships and your marriages and your relationships with your children and the value you place on your friendships in the world i think so yeah, I love what you said about the. Um, sorry to hear about uh, the grand. By the way, I mean, yeah. you can you can see how that business is going to get hit. Um, yeah. You went, when you were saying earlier on about energy, I've got this great coach of mine at the moment, and every time I go to him, moaning and groaning about something, or even not moaning and groaning, just asking him, "Why isn't this working? Like, why why isn't why why did I have a sixty minute conversation with this person who desperately needed my help, but he didn't sign up?" for the help, you know, and he'll always say to me, what's going on in your life right now? How did you show up? Where are you in your integrity? Where are you in your financial integrity? Where, where do you, you hate show that up? sometimes? Fucking yes, because I, I'm like, man, I got to look at myself again and again. What's your and part again. In that? Yeah. Like, but it, but it is 100% rad. It just, as you slip out of it, like how far can you stretch 100% radical responsibility? And, and he challenges me like to go even further and even further. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and I, and I love that because it gives you a sense of control. Like, yeah, I'm responsible for my day. Yeah. I can change it anytime I want, you know, I can restart my day anytime I want, you know, and, and I love the principles of making amends to people immediately when you fuck up, you know, it just doesn't hang around in your life. I'm responsible for that. Mm. I'm responsible for not taking a drink. Hmm. I can do, I can take a drink anytime I want. Hmm. I can choose to do that, but it's my responsibility to place myself in a, a fit spiritual and mental condition. So I don't want to. Hmm. 
that's that's my you know i can't rely on somebody else to do that i love that listen to that yeah. folks what you just said so i see obviously because um strive our community a lot of it is written based we mm-hmm. we have three meetings a week and we're on marco polo so we see each other's faces a lot but there's a lot of it writing and the language is really important and a yeah. lot of times you have to pick people up because the language is of scarcity and lack i i can't have a drink yeah. As opposed to what you just said is, no, no, I have a responsibility and I choose not to drink. Yeah, Very I mean, I, I, I drink. I just don't drink alcohol. I yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, and really that's not so bad when, when I think about it. That's really not so bad. So I, I, I can ch- it, the choice is mine. If I go out with friends to the bar or mm. I go out for dinner, I, you know, I can choose to order a glass of wine or a, a scotch if I want. Mm. But, you know, I, I choose not to. It's not that I can't drink. I, mm. I totally can drink if I want. Mm. I just choose not to. Like that, that's my choice every day. And, and I've got a, a toolbox to help me make sure I'm in, in the right frame of mind. You know, when, when, when I, even after a lot of years sober, you know, I, my, my frame of mind can shift towards thinking that would be an attractive option. It's not difficult for that to happen. Mm. But, but I recognize now when that's starting to shift in me. And I love what you're doing as a coach and what you're doing with, with, your, with, with your community. It's helping each other recognize when those little signs start to happen, those little shifts in attitude, the little shifts in mindset, the, the uh, I'm sorry for myself a little bit. I can't have a drink. Why can't I have a drink? Everybody else can have a drink. Well, totally you can. You just choose don't. You know, I, so I, always, I know the consequences. Yeah, I always say... I, I, have, I have no off switch. If I have one beer, I have no ability to predict what's going to happen. Yeah. It's like that a, part, that, that cluster, scares me. A clusterfuck. It's like, yeah. I, I always say to people, look, you know, I'm not in the business of helping create miserable bastards who don't <laughs> drink alcohol. Like, if, you, if, if you're going to be really miserable and not happy, then fucking drink. Like... Like, honestly, it's to me, it's 20 bucks <laughs> to me, 1000 days sober is, is not about the alcohol. It really isn't. It's about, no. you know, what is it in why, where do we, for me, it all comes down to relationships and relational liter- literacy. Like, are we, how are we relating to ourselves? Are we relating to other people's, which, which also like connects in with leadership and, and yeah. all these communicative skills that we were never taught by our parents or teachers and, you no. know. How would they know? <laughs> that they, they wouldn't. And it's, it's left to, you know, platforms like this to help people go, oh, yep. communication is important. I might get myself a communication book or whatever, you know? So, yeah. I think what you, you're talking about is really dear to my heart. It's the difference between being sober, you know, not drinking and emotional sobriety, which is a whole, that's a whole different process. That's a whole different process of communication. Mm, I like that emotional yeah. sobriety. Yeah. I mean, the, the, is, that, that, um, that's, that's when you're really sober. Well, I give, I give you not drinking is not enough. No, not if you not when. So the way I see it is to use the you know the allegory of the matrix. I guess mm-hmm. is when you're in the matrix, you really don't see what's outside of the matrix. And for me, outside of the matrix was really not having a clue. The going back to the the, the guy I spoke to with who wanted the beautiful looking woman, right? So mm-hmm. when I'm in the matrix, I have no idea that there are women out there that have such depth of spirituality and meaning and love and healing that, mm-hmm. that, that can just, you just look at them and you just fucking light up. And it's not yeah. until I get ripped out of the matrix that I, I see them. 
And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, the, I just want to be in their presence, my wife. Yeah. I want to be her in her presence. But, but to be there and for her to want me in her presence, I can't fucking turn up like a boy. I can't no, be a boy. You've got to be a grown man. I need to be a man, right? So this is yeah. where it goes back to like emotional sobriety. I need to yeah. go back and fix that up, right? And that takes yeah, time. A, a well woman is not going to be attracted if you're not well. No, no. Like a healthy, vibrant, spiritual woman is not going to be attracted to you. Uh, that's and, just a simple fact. But, she's going to she's going to get all the alarm bells going off. Go, this guy. And this is why like, it's such a problem, Tony. And it when when one partner yeah. stops drinking or using, and the other one yeah. doesn't, and we're talking about the other one doesn't, and the amount they drink is causing consternation in the relationship. That's massive because yeah. you haven't just made a decision to stop drinking. You've you've emotionally jumped onto a different level and that's really difficult to connect it is and i I, you know my marriage ended after i got sober i mean that that that's a long time ago now but you know like you 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 marriage is 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 engaging in in a lifetime spiritual journey together and you'll grow at different rates at different times you'll become different people in fact every cell in your body regenerates every 12 months or something so you're not even physically the same person Like everything regenerates. So, you know, that, and you'll ebb and flow. You'll, you'll get closer together and you'll pull apart a little and then you'll get closer together. And, and there's no guarantee that, that it's going to be lifetime. It's like I can't guarantee I'm not going to drink. I can't. Mm. There's no guarantee. Like the chances of me drinking if I do the right thing is fairly slim. Mm. But I can't guarantee that for life. Neither can I guarantee I'm going to be the same person in five years. You know, I mean, my wife may grow faster than me. We may grow apart. We may grow closer together. We ebb and flow in life. I mean, we're two individuals on a journey together. Mm. Um, and, so, uh, and sometimes that's like two shipwreck survivors clinging to a rock in a storm in early sobriety. <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, I, I love what you're saying about emotional sobriety. That's something that's very important to me. And it's something I strive for, and, and sometimes I get really good glimpses of it for lengthy periods of time, and other times I lose it. Um, I just I forget to do what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm just a, I'm just a human being. I forget to meditate, or I forget to say thank you at night, mm. or I do have I get I get over ego inflated. I, I start to see other people, and I want what they have, and you know I have to check myself on a regular basis. So you don't just get sober and that's it. The, the, you know, this is a, this is a lifetime of, of development and examining yourself. And that can be exhausting sometimes. Mm. I'd like to uh, just like impart a lesson on people listening that, that I received yesterday on what you were just saying there, um, that we, we have to have reminders to keep on meditating, to keep on praying, to keep on going out and go running, to keep on eating the right foods and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Or, or, or in our environment at 1000 Days Sober, doing our homework assignments, uh, helping other people in the forum. My coach said to me yesterday that we really need to take a deep look at self-trust. Like mm-hmm. where, where are we setting ourselves up for failure mm-hmm. and where are we eroding our own self-trust? So when we step into the environment of somebody in somebody else's sphere, are they able to trust us if we can't trust ourselves? So if we say to ourselves, right, I'm going to meditate every day for 20 minutes and then you cop out, you're eroding your self-trust and that is going to show up in your integrity when you show up in the presence of someone else and you're demanding their trust, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, what I found, and this is why I I didn't create 1,000 Days Sober for this reason, but it's turned out to be, to work out really well, 
is if you surround yourself with meditators, if you surround yourself with prayer, if you surround yourselves with uh, people who believe in spiritualism and energy and all that kind of stuff, then it is less likely, like you said earlier on, less, you can't, there's no permanency in the world. We really don't know, right? But it's less likely. And if you hang around the pub, if you hang around the opium den, if you hang around where people inject heroin, if you hang around outside pubs where people smoke, and those are all, or hang around Starbucks, and these are all your vices the coffee, the heroin, the opium, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Then you're going to have a problem because you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people. Inevitably, you're going to use. It's just, it's just, matter of time. you already have, it's just a matter of time. You already have emotionally and it's just yeah. a matter of time for you. Yeah. Totally. The physical. I, I got to speak a, a little while ago at something called creative mornings. It was just before COVID. And I, I, and I, I spoke about um, the whole concept of certainty being absurd <laughs> and, and embracing uncertainty. And that comes from my, my journey in recovery too. Like there is no certainty at all. There is none. Mm. Right, so we, we, we spend our whole lives basing, um, basing our, our journey on certainty, careers and pensions and, and marriage for life and children and the picket fence and the, and the nice house. Certainty smoke. Like it's just, it's an illusion. It, it doesn't exist. Uh, but when you start to take a spiritual journey and you start to trust yourself and you trust God, whatever that is for you, mm. then um, you, you, you can understand the whole uh, world is uncertain right? and covid 's been a great example to us of that yeah. you know we, we do strategic planning in our businesses and we put our pension money away and in, in a couple of days, the stock markets crashed, oil prices crashed, we got locked down, and businesses ended mm. in just a couple of days mm. and, and that 's not the first time that 's happened in human history it 's happened many times before. This one has never happened in my lifetime to this kind of depth. But that's, that's recovery and embracing uncertainty right there in, that, in the 12th to the 13th of March. That, that is it in its entirety right there. You know, the, the world changed beyond recognition in just a few hours. So, you know, I think if, if we can embrace that philosophy in our life of like nothing is certain, so I've got to enjoy it today. Living in the moment is kind of cliche and a bit Buddhist, but it, it's true. You know, that's thousands of years of teaching right there in that <laughs> phrase, living in the moment. Like, <laughs> that's thousands I, of years of I, knowledge and I find wisdom. It, I find it incredible. Like, I mean, 20 minutes before I hopped on this call, I had a 20-minute meditation. Mm-hmm. And part of that meditation is reaching out to you. So I'm reaching out to you. And then I stopped myself and said, you, you, you're time traveling. Tony will be there in 20 minutes. Just get yeah, back into the and moment. And, and, and those little remembrances for me to be in the moment are so important because all of my angst, my anxiety, my stress, my depression, it all comes from future thinking or lamenting yeah. something that's gone on in the past. When I can just say yeah. to myself, Holy. I have breath. My daughter's right next to me. Mm-hmm. I have a house keeping the smoke out, our food. I am just utterly abundant, then that image of that, which go back to leadership, feeling that you're ultimately completely abundant. And then you step into the room and your people look at you, what a difference than, 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 than worrying and stressing and having scarcity. And, and, and I want people to listen to this and think, when I say step into the room, 
You can step into a boardroom. You can step into a football change room. You can step into your kid's bedroom. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or a library or a bus or, or whatever. Yeah. Chat to somebody, actually say hello to somebody w- with a smile. I it's mean, a that, gift. It is a gift. And, I, you know, I, I, I'm not keen on cliches, but that living in the moment is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it, it is something if you can grasp in your life. And, it, and it, even if you can grasp it fleetingly, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. Because most of your worries don't ever happen. Uh, that you worry about things that that may never happen, probably won't ever happen. Like you, you, you figure out I'm going to say this and I'm going to do this, and and then you get there and it wasn't anything like you worried about in the first place. Like I, I, I don't know what what my future looks like after I leave the theatre. I have no idea, but I'm pretty excited. I like that. Like, See, like, you're excited. Yeah. You're not like, oh my god, uh, what's going to happen? How am I going to feed the kids? You know? I'm sad to lose a beautiful theater however it's gone Mm. that's changed it's already happened there's nothing i can do to change that that that, and and that's the way it's meant to be just at the moment but you know i i'm excited i i'm 64 tomorrow you know and and i i i actually love my life i love being in my 60s i I, i'm i'm fit uh, and i i I'm at a stage in my life where I just want to do cool shit. I don't want to retire. <laughs> I don't want to play golf. <laughs> like I don't, I, like the whole concept of retirement is ridiculous. <laughs> what am I going to do? Do you know what, Tony? Honest to God, when I worked on the railway, when, when I was in the Matrix, part yeah. of my fake life was working on the railway. And my plan was to actually retire in 55, which would be, would, yeah. would be 10 years from now. And I, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait. Now think about that. Your entire life is thinking yeah. about getting the fuck out of the place that you're in. And then you die. <laughs> no, yeah, but you know what? Everybody who left the railway within five years, we were at a funeral. There are, they lost meaning and purpose and they didn't know what to do. There are statistics in the insurance world around how long you're actually going to take your pension afterwards. And, mm. and I think the average is like five years. Yeah. Like, and I'm going to work my whole life for that. That's, when you think about that, it's a ridiculous concept. Somebody's making a lot of money out of that. I know. And it's not me. And I'm, I'm now in a position where I wake up every morning and I, like to this morning I woke up, I play with my daughter until 12 o'clock and I interview you. And then after I finish interviewing you, I'm going to create content that's going to help people's lives. Why would I ever want to retire? Um, I'm going to the beach this afternoon. They, right, you know, there's a beach a block from my house here. Right. I'm going to go and see. Who on would the have beach thought that a, that a Canadian, yeah. uh, someone living in Canada, would be on a beach? Like you know, um, yeah, I wanna, it's amazing. I want to go back to something you said because I think it's really important. When we were talking about being in the moment, mm-hmm. right, being in the moment and worrying about the future, and then the f- and then the worry that you that you're putting into the world or you're, you're projecting half the time didn't even turn out to be true, right? Mm-hmm. I, want to, I want people to listen to this and think about when you're triggered, when you're drinking. So you want to stop drinking, but you're triggered. So Polly, right, uh, just recently posted on Strive, she was in the car driving, a song come on, and she's mm-hmm. triggered because it's triggering nostalgia, right? I remember a time when I heard this song and I was drinking, right? So it, the reason we really struggle is because we keep getting these triggers and it leads us to drink. But think about what Tony said, right? You're triggered. Right now I'm triggered. But right now, be in the moment. Because if the trigger is taking you away from the moment, you're thinking about drinking or you're thinking about a past event. But if you just be in the moment and just think, how am I feeling right now? 
then that trigger loses its power. If you say to yourself, if you say to yourself, where am I triggered in my body right now? Where is it? What is it saying? Where is it? You won't find it because what a trigger is, is you thinking, Oh my God, I really need a drink, right? I really need a drink. This, this memory is making me feel like it. you're backwards and forwards in time to stay mm-hmm. in the equilibrium. And you have the power as a human being to just ride that through, you know, you can. And in, in that moment, you can choose to call a friend yeah, or you can choose to text a friend or you can choose to pull the car over and wind the window down and let the sunshine in for a minute mm. and, and not get frustrated with the traffic or let that. I mean, the song's probably a beautiful song and it's not about alcohol at all. No, I was, um, I'm, I'm actually going to be, you know, working on that. Like I, we're, in the, we're in the middle of working together on that trigger right now, you know, and, mm-hmm. and nostalgia is very often, it takes us back to a moment and we're missing that moment. Mm-hmm. So there's something about that. What am I missing? Is it loneliness? Is it a mm-hmm. partner? Is it uh, music? Is it dance? It won't be the alcohol. Like the alcohol is a no. fucking red herring. Yeah, because we as addicts and alcoholics don't really enjoy alcohol like regular people do. You know, a regular person will sit down and sip a glass of wine and enjoy the taste of it. That's not what I did. No. Like there is a fantasy in my head sometimes that I sat on a sunny patio and had a cocktail. It's crap. I didn't do that. I might have done for 10 minutes. But I'm not a person, my drinking pattern was not one where I sat and enjoyed a cocktail. I would drink maybe seven or eight to you get just, the evening rolling. Yeah, you so just want to. I, I don't get the same enjoyment out of alcohol. It's not. It's not an enjoyment experience for me. It's either a drowning out experience or a pissed off experience, or you know, I I I just need to get wasted. I, I it's not. I'm going to sit and enjoy a glass of wine at all. Do you know? Do you know what it reminds <laughs> My me? I can enjoy a glass of wine. I use this really stupid. Uh, a stupid analogy, right? So let's use the, um, I just heard this song and it takes me back to a time when I was like having sex on a pool table, listening to this song and we were drunk and it's making me want to drink. Now imagine if you was having sex with that song and you're holding a pen in your hand at that time, yeah. right? And you're twiddling it. Yeah. You're not going to think to yourself, fuck, I need that pen. Like, I, no. like that pen was like such an important part of that experience. No, the, the, the important part of that experience was the connection, was the, the, you know, the, the, the rush of having sex or, or it could be the, the music. Like I remember, I'll give you an example. I had to stop taking drugs because um, the railway introduced a random drugs and alcohol policy. And I was a big uh, speed user at the time. And I stopped it for many years. Um, but I also stayed out of environments where I would use drugs. And then one day I went to a left field concert in Cardiff University. And everyone around me was um, taking speed. And they asked me if I wanted some. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't do it. And I walked into the, I walked into the door and the bass hit me so hard. I swear my bones were shaking. Right. I was like, that's an amazing, an amazing feeling. Honest. Like I was like, and I said to my mate, no, it was my wife, give me a gram. And she gave me a gram and I, and I took it there and then in the moment. Right. Now I reflect on that. When I listen to left field now, I go back to that moment, but I know in my head, that I, it's not the drugs. It's not the drugs. I walked no. in and the bass hit me. 
boom, yeah. boom, boom. And that, that feeling, the hair standing on your hand, the, the, the feeling of anticipation, it had nothing to do with the drugs, but the drugs is now part of the memory because I made it part of the memory by using it at that yeah. time, right? And yeah. that's what I but try to help. the drug didn't me. enhance the memory. No, it, it, we, it, it, wasn't, we, it didn't create it. I can say to myself with uh, speed in that moment, did it, en- did it enhance my experience? Maybe did a little bit, but I don't see that with alcohol. I see every time I'm drinking alcohol, I'm going further away from the experience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, I you, don't. You're right. I, I've been to incredible concerts and sporting events and incredible places around the planet while I was drinking and I was never there. Oh, you can't even remember? Oh, you can't like even remember? Well, it, it seems like a dream now. Like, was I actually there? Yeah. You know, I, I, it, what it's done, what alcohol did was take away the experiences for me. Mm. You know, it's, it's actually damaged the experience. It's diminished it. Because, um, you know, I, I'd be in Yugoslavia, but I got drunk. I didn't enjoy Yugoslavia. I was drunk. That, that, is, every ho- <laughs> that is every holiday I ever had before the age of yeah. 35. Can I just stress that point as well for people listening? Because it's a really good learning point. I went to the Millennium Stadium to watch Stereophonics and a whole host of uh, really top bands kind of um, supporting them. And I don't remember a single guitar being strung. But I tell you what I did is um, the next day when we all went to the pub and all that, I, I made it into a great experience. So my, mem- my memory of it, my infactual memory was, what a great time. And I, and I absolutely poured absurdity on it by saying, I, I can't even remember anything. Like it was fun. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a mechanism of this belief system that, gets a, that keeps us drinking. So it doesn't allow us to look at our experiences and go, holy shit, alcohol robbed me of that. What we do is yeah. we joke Alcohol's about it. Alcohol's a thief. Yeah, we, but we joke about it. We yeah. we say, "Wow, I must have had a great time last night" because I can't remember anything. I mean, what an oxymoron, yeah. right? I mean, that's just yeah, ridiculous. It's, it's amazing that we were, but we say that on a regular basis. Yeah, my yeah. wife and I went down to Palm Desert a couple of years ago, and we went to um, a desert trip. So we've got the Stones, the Who, Bob Dylan, wow. Paul McCartney, Roger Waters, all in one weekend. Wow. And I remember every every note, every moment. Like he, he, it's, but I went to see the Who when I was eighteen and I was drunk, and, and all I remember is the fantasy of what I thought happened. Yeah, the fantasy. I, I had to recreate it in my head. Well, and 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 I want to stress this point, and this is just my belief, and this is what I kind of teach people to help them see the truth here. I I say there's this almost like an entity within us called resistance, which is forcing us to drink when we don't want to drink. And, and it's, it's not just drinking. Whenever we're on the cusp of greatness in life, resistance is the voice that's talking us down from mm-hmm. taking that leap, taking that job, leaving that wife, moving country, right? Yeah. So in that moment, it's resistance that is telling you and manufacturing and fabricating a memory that serves you because it wants you to keep drinking. And if it, if it allows the truth to emerge, then cognitive dissonance returns and you start questioning it for the first time since you took a drop. That's you know, a great I, point. I, I really believe like mm. when you're young, the world is designed for you to drink. And when you first mm. take your first drink, it's a pseudo ritual from boy to manhood. And you, and normally you're with, you're with people you want to impress. So you drink it and it's disgusting, but they ask you what it's like and you have to tell them that it's okay because you're going through this pseudo ritual from boyhood to manhood. 
And so you tell the resistance, no, 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 it's okay. But your body's saying, expel it, get rid of it. It's disgusting. And you're like, no, it's okay. It's okay. Until eventually you've, you've, you're okay with it. You've told yourself you're okay. And you get to 35 like I did, and you can't even remember that you did that. No. So what you've actually done in that moment is not gain freedom as a man by drinking. Not at all. You've attached a ball and chain to both legs. You've you've got the boy, you've got your boy psychology, and you've put a ball and chain on it, and you drag it through life in business, in relationships, with friends, with wives and husbands. That's why there's so many divorces. It's because the fucking women are married to boys. And what can you or what could you or what will you achieve if you actually decide to take that ball and chain off? Nice. Just, you know, um, so you, lots of us achieve great things with the ball and chain attached to it. I know. And they don't what even know. What could you do? Like, what can you do and what will you do the minute you take that off? Like since, since I took it off, my life has changed beyond recognition. You know, I, do I have more money than I did? No. Do I have more peace in my heart? Yes. And it's been a long time since I woke up with that ball of impending doom in my gut. Mm. It's been a long time. If I just get that, if I just stop that happening to me, that's remarkable. You know, to your young audience out there, when you take that ball and chain off, your your potential is unlimited. Mm. You've already achieved a great deal just by surviving life with a ball and chain attached to your legs. You have no right to be even alive sometimes, mm. but somehow you did with that attached to you. So when that's removed, like you don't need to go back. There's no good reason to drink again. There is not. Even in those moments of weakness and those moments you just described where you get triggered, you know, what, what is the upside to that? Well, I'm going to put the ball and chain back on my legs again. Mm. You know, that, if, if you can just imagine that picture. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, purposely put the ball and chain back on my leg because I love the feel of the weight. I love it holding me back. <laughs> so it's like we need to hire people walking around with us with a ball and chain. And when we're triggered, yeah. we're like, go on, put it on my ankle. <laughs> yeah, just let me know. Strap it on there. Let's see how yeah. that feels again. I love the I love dragging the weight around. I do I do want to share an insight. It's a personal insight, but I'm I'm pretty confident that it will um it will impact other people as well. So here's here's my my, my ball and chain theory. So yeah. when, when I was drinking, I looked at my life and I, and I had it all, right? Mm-hmm. I thought I had it all. I thought I had a good job, good money, good car, wife, kids, friends, and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But then you, you, know, you see the light, get pulled out of the matrix, step out of Plato's cave, whatever, you stop drinking, and now the ball and chain comes off. Here's the thing, folks. Even though you're not drinking, Resistance can, I said earlier on that for me, resistance is anything that stops you achieving true greatness. So you stop drinking and then for a while you get into the rainbow unicorn spirit things and you start doing like I did, quitting my job. My wife divorces me. I travel around the world trying to be a professional poker player um, and, and, and everything's great. But then over time, you put the ball and chain back on. You're not drinking, but, but you've settled again. You're on this path of least resistance and it's settled and it's become a dip and you're in it. And for me, I promised 10 years ago that I would go into poker so I could find the time and the freedom to allow me to create 1,000 days sober. That was 10 years ago, folks. So I've only just told my people I'm stepping out of poker because I realized that to get out of that dip, 
you've got to be courageous. You've got to be brave and you've got to stop playing the wait and see what happens game. You, you can't say to the universe, I want to help people save their lives through 1000 days sober. And I can only do that full time when I have enough money in order for me to quit poker. So please let that happen universe. No, 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 no. You need to take the fucking risk. You need to say, okay, I trust that this is going to happen. And I know in my soul that I will do everything I can to make it happen. Let's fucking go for it. Ball and chain, which now is poker. Bonk. It's gone. You know, yeah. like even, um, eat it right. For me, I went on an elimination diet to find out the foods that are causing inflammation in my body tone. Holy shit. I stopped pissing myself. I stopped like brain fog. I stopped shouting at people. Like all this stuff was still there when I stopped mm -hmm. drinking because I still wasn't eating right. And I was a fucking clean living vegan. So yes. just be aware folks that the ball and chain can easily, it attaches itself back on. If you just, you just like, you chill out. And I don't mean we shouldn't chill out. We should chill out, right? But there's different levels of chilling out. There's chilling out because we're happy with our life and this is what we want. And then there's chilling out, this fear base, like mine is, like I'm just showing up and getting paid a load of money to do this poker stuff and I don't really want to do it, but I'm afraid to leave. That's not but fucking All you've me. done in that is put the ball and chain in your suitcase. Yeah, yeah, and I'm carrying it around the world with me. I love it. I fucking love that. Yeah. <laughs> you you got to get rid of the suitcase too, man. <laughs> well, it's that movie. What's that movie where um, it's an Indian movie and they are actually, in every scene, they have to move around and they've got all this luggage. Yeah. And it, it is a metaphor that they're carrying all this shit around with them. That's totally what it is. I, and we do talk about baggage mm. in life. I mean, that's that's used an awful lot in 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 get get well and self-help books is carrying your baggage around and it, and it, when the baggage has got the ball and chain in it that's fucking heavy when i got divorced so I my think, mom said my mom said lee you're fucked because you've got so much baggage no one's going to yeah. want you and she meant my boy she meant yeah. that's your baggage but but really she was onto something she was because because that divorce and the way that i dealt with it ruined me emotionally so I years. think sobriety is putting the ball and chain in your suitcase. Emotional sobriety is leaving the suitcase in a locker at the airport, I think. Yeah. I've, and I think that that is a really good ending. Tell yeah. me. Really good ending. Uh, this has been an amazing uh, conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I love the community that you're building. And like anything I can do to help you, Lee, I'm right here. Thank you, Tony. And I, I yeah. know you generally mean that. When I asked you to come on here, you're like, yep, yeah, fucking come on, let's do it. And we did it yeah. very quickly. And uh, best of luck with your adventures post-grand. I'm sure that it will all work out and you're going to be touching. I'll stay in touch and let you know what's happening up here. And, um, you know, I get down to LA from time to time and I'd be happy to buy you a, a hot chocolate or a tea. Or a, <laughs> a cacao, a ceremonious cacao. You can meet my Yeah, exactly. Mate. All right, Tony, thank you. Right. Thank you. Cheers, mate. I appreciate it. <laughs>